Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Bandroom Podcast. My name is Dylan Maddox. And I'm Kate Nishimura. Usually, you know, Kate and I ask how we're doing to each other. Uh, mm-hmm. And for the most part, we've talked during the week. However, it's been like weeks since Kate and I have actually really caught up. So, truly, how are you, Kate? <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. I'm happy to have the opportunity to reconnect with you. We've taken, you mm-hmm. know... Uh, some time off uh, for the summer and everything, so it's nice to get back into this. Um, I am I am so excited to hear about how you are doing, though, <laughs> because I've just got glimpses, you know, from social media mm. and like texts and stuff and about really, marching uh, band chaos that. and yeah. all these things. Um, how are you, Dylan? I'm pretty good. And I, I, I keep in mind, uh, Jason Kassler has joked that I should really be documenting this like Canadian and America thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want the intros <laughs> every week to be like, well, this week in <laughs> Canadian in the States news. Um, but no, so far, so good. We I was talking with my wife this morning about, I just, I still kind of don't feel settled. Like I feel like yeah. I'm just go, go, going still. And Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think the process of moving anywhere, let it alone be across a continent, um, yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it takes like three months to kind of really feel that, that kind of settle thing. So, yeah. um, but it's been great. I've this week finally have been able to conduct people and not had to do the admin so stuff. So, yeah. So we, I started my week with a little Mozart serenade in E flat with our chamber mm-hmm. winds. So that's a dedicated group of the school's top players that that play for us they all get scholarships which is super cool cool um and then i worked with the the uh, kind of our our third band here which is the maroon and gold band so a lot of um some of the marching band people we have we actually we have a new thing happening there we have this uh mirabella retirement home so it's a lot of asu alumni that's are in this and oh, cool. this is the place where the they were doing those that research into students staying with uh, older people in retirement homes yeah, and yeah. seeing, so they get some kind of discounted thing. So it's kind of cool. So right. a lot of, some of those, uh, older community members are in the band. So that it's, it's oh, a cool. really kind of cool atmosphere. Yeah. Um, but I worked with them and it was like, oh yeah, I forgot what it was like to teach. So it was really <laughs> nice. And I just went into, <laughs> I went into clinic mode. It was fun. Like riding a bike. <laughs> yeah. It was amazing. So that's awesome. Did that and then um, had my first football game, my first American mm-hmm. football game on Thursday <laughs> for the ASU season opener, uh, which we won. Apparently, it was a sloppy win, I found out through newspapers, <laughs> but um, they won. That's all I really cared about. Great. So, uh, yeah. but it's it was really great. The band played great and uh, the Maddox Mellophones were awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wonderful. So, yeah, you know, I was really proud of them. So, but we still, uh, even though it's a long weekend, we have rehearsal on Monday because they have another game on Saturday and have a new tune to learn. So, it's been an experience. I don't know if it's going to be for me full, like long term, but I'm certainly uh, grateful for the opportunity to learn about mm-hmm. the marching arts. Yeah, and, uh, that's sweet. yeah, no. But anyway, that's that's kind of a long explanation, uh, but it's okay. been good, and uh, and I'm glad to be back in podcast mode. Uh, and last week we had talked about our great announcement of our collaboration with Jody Blackshaw and the Colorful Music team, and mm-hmm. and I so strongly and confidently said it was called the Colorful Initiative. It is not <laughs> called the Colorful Initiative, uh, as I was reminded. And asked after it is the colorful collective because 
who can't avoid that kind of strong alliteration? I know. The right? colorful collective. <laughs> uh, yeah, which so, is an initiative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is an initiative. It's still so, accurate. You know, yeah. uh, it was okay. So, uh, but with that, there was, uh, we talked about a newsletter and various resources, and now we have a, a resource that you can get to. The first mm-hmm. thing that we'll talk about is the colorful good news guide, which is, I don't know if it's monthly, but it is a, a, a very vast newsletter full of amazing resources when it comes to programming diversely, when it comes to hearing, well, good news stories. Mm-hmm. And in the background, you might hear some sirens going off. That's because someone opened the staircase with the emergency <laughs> exit on it, which has happened five times this week. Oh, um, no. But anyway, um, I digress. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we have um, that uh, that guide that that we'll link to on our website as well as the social medias that you can uh, explore. And our contribution to that, I think, was pretty cool. Yeah, I think so. It was um, we created. Well, firstly, we as the Band Room Podcast have taken the Colorful Music Pledge, mm-hmm. and that means that we are committed to. Uh, welcoming guests on the show who represent a variety of cultural backgrounds, uh, gender diversity, demographic, you know, age, all all these ways of of being colorful as Mm -hmm. according to colorful music. Um, So that's something obviously that we have been conscious of all along anyway, um, but to more formally kind of commit to, to that as a goal felt great. And we wanted to set that example for the community and encourage all of you fine people to uh, take the pledge yourselves as well, if you are ensemble directors or teachers and and the like. Uh, mm-hmm. We also have created a uh, repertoire list, which is just a selection of colorful music uh, that has been composed by BRP guest composers. So we've had the great pleasure of speaking with a number of really amazing composers uh, who are alive and creating awesome music. Mm -hmm. So we've chosen, we tried to choose a piece from each composer that was at a a different grade level so that there's hopefully something in there for everybody. Um, But this is a living document, a resource that we will continue to update as we go, as we speak with more composers uh, who've, you know, meet the criteria, um, we'll add works by them to this uh, to this resource as well. Uh, so that was our contribution to the Good News Guide. And I think it's really great because, as Jody said about it, you know, there's so much negativity going around in the world these days um, that we could all use a little bit of good news. Uh, so make sure to check that out, get connected with Colorful Music and mm-hmm. the podcast, of course, through social media and our websites. And um, yeah, we look forward to continuing that collaboration. Yeah. And I and we should also say that this resource of it will be a kind of a living resource, and uh, whenever we have new composers who have colorful music, uh, we will add that uh, there mm-hmm. for you to check out. So we've already had some really yeah. positive feedback, which has been great mm-hmm. uh, about just ha- having access to this and not really having to you know <laughs> search to the ends of the earth to find. It's this a lot kind of, of work, stuff. you know, so. like teachers, conductors who want to expand their programming it is quite a bit of an endeavor to do that research yourself mm-hmm. and and listen to everything and all that so to have some kind of vetted recommendations by people that you trust you know that that i think is is going to be really useful so 
It's great yeah, that people absolutely. have already checked it out. Yeah. And yeah. speaking of new music and composers, we had a great uh, conversation with not only one guest but composer, two. but two guest yeah. composers on this week's episode. Yeah. And uh, as we mentioned kind of, well, every episode now at some point, you know that we are in a partnership with the Canadian Band Association. Um, and part of that partnership involves something we've talked about before, something that Kate herself has won, and that is <laughs> the Howard Cable Memorial Prize in Composition. That title seems to be getting longer every year. That's okay. <laughs> um, but this prize is is awarded to, you know, composers. I don't, I don't know if there's an age cap on it. Um, no, but generally... there isn't. Um, it's just, you know, Canadian or living in Canada or studying at a Canadian yeah. institution, I believe, and um, approximately a grade three level band work. Yeah. So, yeah, because um, yeah, I think even last year, Fraser Linkletter, who is yeah. a director emeritus at the University of Manitoba, hit one of his pieces, Sprouts, mm -hmm. uh, was one of the winners. So we're very lucky to have the 2021 winners, Jinan Chen, as well as Nicholas Ryan Kelly. So they were here to talk about, uh, as usual, their musical beginnings, their pieces that won, as well as their process and, and, and many other topics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, on a personal note, it's always a great chance for me to be able to connect with other composers and just hear about how they work and why they do what they do. So it was great to have a chance to meet these two composers. And um, Dylan and I were talking about uh, this before we started, but just we had never met either of these people. We <laughs> didn't know anything about these people at all. And that's rare for us because even though sometimes uh, the podcast interview is the first time we're actually speaking to a guest, often we know a little bit about them and what they've done and, and all of that. So this was a, a new experience for us in that they were complete strangers, mm -hmm. um, but it was, it was a delightful conversation. <laughs> yeah, it was great. And before you hear that delightful conversation, could you go and consider doing us a huge favor? And what might that favor be, Kate? Well, if you, fine listener, could go to uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast and make sure that you have subscribed to the Bandroom Podcast. Uh, if it's Apple Podcasts, you can actually leave a rating and a review. And we would really appreciate that because it helps other people to connect with us and find the podcast. And ultimately, that is one of the things that's most important to us is just making sure that our uh, message and the stories of our wonderful guests can reach as many people as possible. So thank you so much to everybody who has already done that. And if you have mm -hmm. not, please do it. We, we would super, super appreciate it. Absolutely. Yes, I have noticed actually a couple of new uh, ratings. No Yay. comments, just ratings, which are good. We'll but take hey, them. Yeah. Love to yeah. hear that those positive things hint hint um <laughs> and speaking of positive things of course the, this is the second episode back since our summer hiatus which was kind of a hiatus but we offered you access to some of our patreon bonus episodes so you get a little taste of what what you might get if you become a patron of the bandroom podcast um so you know how hilarious some of those stories are <laughs> you know how inspirational some of those stories are and so on um and today we also had uh, of course recorded a bonus episode with these two fine composers uh and you know it might not be hilarious but we we talked kind of about the the ins and outs of of studying composition and and how 
uh, we might reconsider doing things to make make it more accessible for students. Um, and maybe what were some of the the barriers uh, while we were studying composition? And I'm I'm speaking mm -hmm. like I'm a composer. I am not. That's probably why <laughs> there was probably some kind of barrier in my life that <laughs> made yeah. me. Want. But, yeah, <laughs> gotta break but those you can barriers have, uh, down. <laughs> oh yeah, get them down. Just write music, my friends. Yeah. Um, but you can hear that episode if you uh, would consider becoming a patron of the podcast, helping us off to offset costs for new equipment and, and the kind of platforms that we use to record and all of that stuff. So you can learn how to do that by visiting patreon.com slash bandroompod. That is patreon.com slash bandroompod where you can learn how to help us get yourself on some uh, kind of cool kickbacks be it bonus episodes or be it uh, other things that we need to start up again for our patrons. Um, <laughs> so do. thank you so much for considering that. And, and also thank you so much for listening. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Jinan Chen and Nicholas Ryan Kelly. Okay, so here we are for another exciting episode of the Bandroom Podcast. And today is a very special day because you're not only getting one guest, you're getting two guests for the price of nothing because you don't pay for this. Um, so uh, there's this is something that I've wanted to do for a while, um, but especially now with our new partnership with the Canadian Band Association, Kate and I thought it would be wonderful if we could have the winners of this year's Howard Cable Memorial Prize in Composition on the podcast. And guess what? They're here. Nicholas Ryan Kelly and Jinan Chen. Welcome to the podcast. It's nice to be on the program. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And um, we'll try to do this in the most organized fashion possible. It's only happened once in our history that we've had two guests on at the same time. Um, so uh, our first question that we ask everyone is, where, why, and how did your musical journey begin? So maybe let's start with Jinan. Oh, yes. Uh, thank you very much for having me on the program. I've been following the program now for quite some time. So it's, it was rather oh, exciting wonderful. when I got your email all of a sudden. I was standing in the middle of a hallway waiting for my uh, first class to open. And all of a sudden, I, I saw the email and said to myself, you know, it's made this rainy day a rather special day here in Edmonton, Alberta. Aww. Aww. We opened the clouds. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, I think with regards to my musical journey, according to my, according to my mother, I was rather musical when I was quite young. I believe she says that when I was around three or four, Back when we were living in China, she would teach me this song or that on our way over to the daycare that was not too far from where we resided. And mm -hmm. apparently back then, I used to dance a lot. Uh, and mm -hmm. I continued to do so until, of course, the, the self-consciousness uh, kicked in. You know, in terms of the conventional sort of musical schooling, you know, the hand and the scales, etc. That began around the time when I was four years old. Apparently what happened okay. was I was watching, I guess, an episode of Teletubbies. And uh, there was oh. this segment that showed uh, piano playing. And I guess being mm -hmm. that young, I became enamored by something which I guess by this point seems quite common. Nothing quite special about it. But anyway, because I was rather young, I, I thought this was something quite interesting. And I think it was either that weekend or a few weekends later, I found myself at the church we were at. I sat down at the piano and perhaps started playing what people might describe as 
either Henry Cowell's sort of cluster chords or some <laughs> sort of strange modernist contraption of a composition. It wasn't really compositions. Uh, right. But that, of course, got the attention of my parents who said, you know, why don't you try this for a bit? They used the term mm-hmm. try, so there was nothing uh, connected to that. You know, there was no covenants. So I said, why right. not? But then from there, I, I carried on playing the piano all the way until uh, quite recently when I decided, mm-hmm. you know, composition is, is the thing that I would rather do. And therefore, I've right. been mostly doing that now. And uh, right. therefore, the piano playing, I, I've lessened that by quite a bit. Right. And you're, you're currently at the University of Alberta, is that correct? That's right. Originally, I was considering a few other institutions in Canada as well. But the thing about the mm-hmm. University of Alberta that made me decide to uh, go over and take its classes was the fact that I could do two things at the same time. With the other institutions, I could not take two roads in parallel. But here I can both have one foot in the music world and have the other foot in the world of business. So my oh. undergraduate advisor in music said to, my, said to me, you know, you're very much like Nick Carraway in the sense that you're within, without, and perhaps you should consider taking more music courses. But uh, mm-hmm. it's the wonderful thing about, I suppose, the program that they offer here, the music minor program, in which I can choose my mixture. I can take a bit of this, take a bit of that, while at the same time I'm looking right. at marketing and you know everything that has to do with business. Great. Awesome. Yeah, so you're going to be making more money than all of us. That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> but no, and... Uh, Hopefully so, perhaps. Yeah, and one thing I, I always think about whenever, whenever composers tell me about their early pieces is I have this dream of putting together a recital of like my friend's like first piece, even if it's like the worst thing on the planet, just, just seeing what it is. But, uh, but it's, it's a wonderful story. And I, I especially like the idea of, of your parents saying, Hey, let's try this. And not, as you said, not kind of putting that, that covenant on you and, and making you, you feel any kind of pressure about it. So it's good that you had time to kind of like stretch your wings, so to speak and do that. Um, awesome. And how about you, Nick? Where, why, and how did your musical journey begin? So, um, quite differently. Um, I was, <laughs> my family was like not musicians at all, um, except for the fact that we had an old upright piano in our house and a trombone mm-hmm. in the attic for reasons that are lost to history. Um, those both become important to the story though. Um, so in grade four, I guess, um, I wasn't really into sports or most activities or Mm -hmm. anything other than video games. So my parents were like, we have this old trombone in the attic, so we're going to make you play trombone in the elementary school band. And I didn't really know what a band was at the time, but I knew what a trombone was and I didn't want to have any part of it. So (laughs) I had almost convinced my parents um, to let me quit lessons by the time the first rehearsal finally came along. But that first rehearsal was like one of those life changing moments, like even with this grade, you know, 0.5 music that we were doing, Mm -hmm. I just had no idea that you could, you know, have all these people in a room playing all these different parts and it sounds good. I was like, oh, I get it now. (laughs) And this is why I have to practice. Um, and so, um, I had no piano background whatsoever at that point, but I remember trying to figure out our band's pieces by ear on the piano my parents had, um, because I didn't like that when I practiced the trombone, I could only hear that one part. 
and the context yeah. seems really important to me. So yeah. mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was doing, but I like figured out the other parts by ear. And in retrospect, that was like really good ear training and like figuring out For what sure. chords were before I really knew what chords were. Um, and so I insisted after a while on taking piano lessons. Um, it turns out I also didn't really like to practice that. I liked to <laughs> improvise. Again, um, oh, before nice. I knew what improvising was, like for me, it was sort of a way to procrastinate the things I was supposed to be learning um, and, you know, discover all these cool sounds different notes can make when you put them together. Right. So I think it wasn't really until maybe grade eight bands um, mm-hmm. when... My good friend, who also played the trombone and happened to be the band teacher's son, um, gave me this free copy of Finale Notepad. And I was okay. just like, oh, this is the coolest computer game. Like, I can <laughs> I can put the clarinet in and the horn in and hear what they yeah. play at the same time. Mm-hmm. And eventually I figured out that, oh, that is actually composing. Um, <laughs> so in high school, I wrote a few pieces for my band. Um, that our our teacher was, you know, nice enough to conduct. And we even mm-hmm. did at least, mm-hmm. I think, one of them in a concert, which was nice. great. a great learning experience. And yeah, we'll leave it there. Um, we'll leave the it important there. thing to remember, <laughs> though, um, that's maybe interesting about me, even though I started out in the band's world, mm-hmm. I took like a very long hiatus from it and sort of had Mm -hmm. to relearn how to write band music. But maybe we can talk a little bit more about uh, my coming back to that later when we talk about universities or that kind of thing. And uh, and much like I I asked uh, Jean-Anne, where are you now? I know you ended up in uh, kind of the BC area. (laughs) Yeah, I'm in Penticton, BC, which is... um, Maybe about a four and a half hour drive through Vancouver, or from Vancouver, okay. sorry, through the mountains. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I might be the oldest person in this conversation. Um, <laughs> I'm like halfway to being a senior citizen now. So, oh dear. Um, yeah, so I'm not currently at university or anything. I'm right. uh, living a pretty chill life that cool. we can talk about later. Um, yeah, but yeah, 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 that's that's how I got started, at least. So right. one thing at a time. Yeah, beautiful. Great. And yeah. it's it's also great in your story to hear about how you were also kind of given that space and the opportunity from your band teacher, which I know, I think at the in the moments like that, we kind of take for granted. But to think about how, all these little things and how they've, you know, opened up to a, a career uh, and, and those kind of things. Like personally speaking, I always used to put ensembles together. And That's I didn't simple. think that how that would f- affect my professional life of... <laughs> putting ensembles together yeah. exactly. so it, 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 it all yeah. comes around grade seven who knew surprise you're a conductor <laughs> or surprise yeah. i'm a composer yeah. exactly yeah. exactly Fine. yeah and Very actually cool. both of those stories resonate with me as well i also was given the space as a child to just kind of explore my musical ideas um in a relatively pressure-free environment like it was it was okay if I wanted to spend time doing it. It was okay if I didn't. Um, and I pretty much always did. So I kind of just, you know, would lean into it when I was interested in it. And my high school experience also involved um, really supportive teachers that, you know, just encouraged uh, me to keep trying when I expressed interest in composing. And, 
you know, my first ever piece that I wrote for band was performed by my high school wind ensemble that I was a part of at the time. And so it was performed by my peers. And, you know, those formative experiences really do go a long way. So it's encouraging to hear that both of you have had experiences like that as well. Um, and uh, our next kind of topic of discussion centers around writing for wind band as both of you were selected as the winners of a band composition competition, of course. Um, so I'm wondering how you each came to writing for wind band. I know Nick, we talked about it a, a little bit, but you mentioned kind of a departure and then a return and Jean-Anne being a pianist and kind of exploring music on that side of things. Uh, I'm so curious to hear about how you found your way to writing for wind band. Um, and the second part of the question too, that I'll have both of you answer is why you think other composers should consider writing for this medium. Um, what are the advantages of writing for band? What are some of your experiences, maybe just with this piece or, or more broadly? Uh, and let's start, let's go in reverse order. We'll start with Nick this time and Jean-Anne will be second. Oh boy. I don't even get time to recover. Okay. Um, so yeah, like, like I said, um, yeah, I started writing for band basically because it was my first exposure to, I don't want to say classical, but you know, like notated yeah. music. So it seemed the natural thing to do. And mm -hmm. in that regard, it's kind of ironic that I stopped for so long and have only recently, you know, kind of rediscovered it. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as why composers should write for it, I'm told it's because <laughs> people will actually play it. That remains to be seen for me. <laughs> That's great. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's a newer repertoire, right? The, mm -hmm. the band as we know it hasn't, you know, existed for nearly as long as the orchestra has. So, right. you know, they're, they need new music and it's it's very much more a culture of working with living composers than mm -hmm. most other large ensembles is, um, yeah. is referring to culture. Sorry. <laughs> Subject verb agreement. I can do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's my, that's my answer in a nutshell, I guess. Yeah. yeah. As a follow-up, cause I, I, we tried to do a little bit of research on both of you. Um, and I did find that you've written quite a few, uh, choral works. Um, and is that part of your, you kind of stopped writing for band for a little bit and did some other things? How does writing for other kinds of ensembles fit into your story? I feel like that's most of my story at this point, <laughs> since I've been, right. you know, since I didn't write much band music at university, um, mm -hmm. and I didn't write much band music after university. So I, I went to undergraduate for composition because I actually thought I wanted to be a film composer. Um, mm -hmm. And I was actually in the States. I was, I grew up in New England. Um, okay. And I went to Ithaca College in New York, because both because they have a really good film school. Um, and also because, you know, I played trombone and it's a good wind program. And there was actually a very good um, wind composer who was on the faculty at the time. So it was really nice to study with him. Um, but I think I don't want this to sound like a criticism of that composition program because I think this is quite um, 
This is quite common in undergraduate composition programs. There is such a focus on chamber music, and it makes sense sort of from a pedagogical standpoint. You know, you get really familiar with the individual instruments you're writing for. But at the same time, um, someone like me who has only, you know, played band music and only, you know, basically listened to film music... um, we're going to struggle if you, you know, force us to write a string quartet. Right. Um, and in retrospect, I almost think I was like too focused on grades and pleasing my composition teachers. And so <laughs> I really wrecked my brain trying to write this um, chamber music. Mm-hmm. But I did have some really good experiences writing uh film music with some of the students there, I ultimately decided that that was way too just competitive and powerless a world for me to go into. But uh, film music definitely did sort of shape a lot of my musical identity. Um, And after that, I went to UBC for grad school. I actually did double masters in library science and composition. So Jean Ann and I both have, you know, feet in (laughs) musical and non-musical worlds. Um, And I studied with Steve Chapman there, who is um, a choral, mainly a choral composer. I think I went there because I listened to his music and I was like, okay, this guy is not going (laughs) to force me to write atonal music. And, And it was that was great. So I wrote a lot of um, a lot of solo songs because they also have a very good um, voice program at UBC. Mm. Yeah. And um, I realized that I'm sort of fundamentally a melodic composer. Like I I start with a melody, and the melody is really what sort of guides the form and the textures and all these other mm-hmm. things that sort of ooze out of it, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, it made sense to move on to choral music, although I regret that I didn't write any of that when I was still at UBC. Right. Um, so I finally started, you know, working as a librarian because I had kind of given up, sadly, on making a career as a composer. Mm-hmm. That gave me, I feel like that gave me permission to not take myself as seriously, to just, you know, write whatever I had wanted to write. And yeah. if it gets performed, mm-hmm. great. If it doesn't, you know, it still is a fulfilling after work activity. But my choral mm-hmm. pieces started winning um, all these competitions. And this, you know, started like five years ago when I was already pushing 30. Um, So I decided, hmm, maybe I should focus more on this as a career after all. Right. So here I am, you know, now working part time in a library and um, working with, you know, as a conductor for local community choirs and writing Sometimes on commission, sometimes just for fun, but it always gets performed um, for choirs all over Canada. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's a lot of fun. Um, But I always, since band music is sort of where I began, it's always, you know, had this place in my heart. Um, (laughs) And once I was winning these choral awards, I realized, you know band music can be just as simple. So especially in unaccompanied choral music, but in choral music in Mm. general, you know, you have, you only have 
four parts usually. Um, sometimes eight, but you know, you have yeah. all these people. It's still a big sound. Um, but in order to make that big sound really come across, you really have to make every note count. Um, and I think that really helped me sort of rein in my sort of overblown compositional tendencies yeah, and sense. write, you know, only the notes that needed to be written. Mm-hmm. And after I'd done that for a while, I realized, oh, I can, you know, apply this back to, you know, the band's music that has always been sort of in the back of my mind. And actually the first few band pieces that I did, you know, just in recent years were orchestrations of choral pieces that mm-hmm. were maybe too hard for local <laughs> choirs. Um, yeah. And those actually also, you know, won awards in the States. Yeah. So yeah. um, they've still only been performed like once or twice, but mm-hmm. um, I've made it a priority to try to at least write one band piece a year and submit Ooh. it to whatever, <laughs> whatever <laughs> competitions I'm eligible for. Right. Um, but in the meantime, yeah, I'm just working on some choral commissions and uh, just generally having a low-key life. Low-key? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's great that you've been able to find a way to um, – you mentioned that when you kind of took a step back and you were working in another field, that actually gave you permission to explore your compositional voice a little bit differently and I think that's really good perspective to offer because a lot of people think that you have to just go all in on something in order to feel good about it or to find success in it Um, and it's I think it's so great that both of you actually set this example of you know you're doing two things that are seemingly unrelated but they're both important to you and um, I think a lot of people who are listening to this episode will see themselves in that as well so I think that's really great. Um, Thank you. And so, Jeanan, if you can answer the question as well, I'll remind you, how did you come to writing for Wind Band, and what are your thoughts on why other composers should consider it as well? Right. I'd like to begin, first of all, by just commenting on how I find New England to be a rather beautiful place. I know that Walden Pond is up there, and of course, Thoreau stayed there for a bit. And of course, Charles Ives is from there, and... As some people might be able to tell, I was inspired partly by Ives's career path. <laughs> now, to answer your, your question about how I arrived uh, to write for uh, wind ensembles, I began, first and foremost, writing for the piano. Uh, but slowly and surely, I began to realize that there was a lot that I didn't know about uh, orchestration, as well as how to arrange things in terms of form and structure. And what I really wanted to do at this point was to join the elementary school band at my school, the grade six band, Mm -hmm. due to this was the only stuff I was rather good at. And also because I felt by joining the school band, I would get to know more or less about the other instruments. I I had this large Mm -hmm. book about this instrument, that instrument, but it didn't really tell me how they would sound, you know, all the orchestration sort of stuff. So I said to myself, this would be be a wonderful opportunity. And I ended up playing the clarinet in B flat, uh, in band, (laughs) but originally my choices were different. I was thinking about the oboe due to the Bach Brandenburg concertos. I was thinking about the French horn again, due to the Bach Brandenburg concerto number one. Crazy. Uh, I thought about playing the saxophone too, because my parents said it's a rather nice sounding instrument. Well, what about the trumpet? I I didn't think too much about the the trumpet. (laughs) I guess maybe I was scared by the Bach Brandenburg concerto number two, you know, all about the high playing. Okay. Mozart was also afraid of the trumpet. 
what I discovered was I was really no good at playing brass instruments. And therefore, I chose the clarinet, but that was based on having listened to Mozart's clarinet quintet so mm-hmm. many times. Uh, and while I was in elementary school, in the, in the school bands, you know, as soon as we started to play all this repertoire, mostly Bruce Pearson, uh, I began to realize just how Standard wonderful this stuff could sound. And I began right. thinking about writing a symphony for wind ensemble. But before that, though, there was this one parent-teacher interview. You know how it is in elementary school. Every now and then, the teachers want <laughs> to talk some trash about you uh, with your parents. So then they arrange these sessions where you go in. It's called a three-way Sometimes conference. Good. But really, it's Sometimes good news. one against one staring down at you. So I, I went in to my band teacher's office with my parents. Around this time, I had just written a theatrical work. And so my parents, being rather proud of me, told her about it. And she said, why don't you arrange uh, a segment of it will play it and therefore this oh. was sort of you know my Your invitation to do something yeah yeah and uh what ended up happening was i produced the arrangement but she said that the tuba part was too high this part wasn't <laughs> exactly playable so i let it slide i was really relying at this point on the playback on my notation software which is a big mistake because yeah. you know that's mechanical and you're writing for human beings so i i realized at that point that i really need to learn more about this stuff right. with in terms of how you layer instruments on top of each other and what to do. Yeah. And also about structure as well. Around this time, my father arranged me to have a few lessons with Dr. Gila Chapo over at the University of Saskatchewan. I was living in Saskatoon then. Okay. And Dr. Chapo taught me a lot of stuff that went right over my head because I had <laughs> not learned too much about harmony at this point. But I remember he told me two things. He said, your music lacks structure. You might want to think about how you arrange things within a framework. And he also told me, and I remember this was after he asked me to improvise something. He said, you know, what you play there sounds rather like Mozart, which mm-hmm. to me at first felt like a compliment. But then you said, you know, you, you might want to consider something original, something that will sound <laughs> like you and uniquely yeah. you and not, you know, the derivative of Mozart to the second degree or whatever. And right. so... Taking his advice, I began to think carefully about how I wanted to frame things, structure things. Also, how I might want to sound, make, make the music I write sound more like me. And by this point, right. I was in high school trying my best to do something like this. And I found myself again in, uh, in a wind ensemble. This time I was at the Walter Murray Collegiate Institute in Saskatoon, and I was in their uh, wind ensemble, much larger than my elementary school wind ensemble. And they, everybody played much better than the few people we had. Maybe it was because there were only two trumpets uh, or three trumpets in my own. <laughs> Why is family. everyone? What's wrong with the trumpet? Taking a dig at trumpets today. They're God's instrument. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. What's going Nothing on? is wrong with brass. I'm with Nick on this episode. I don't know about anyone else. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yes, I'm, I guess I'm very much a woodwind player here. But what happened no, no, uh, it's okay. in, in uh, high school that changed things in terms of writing for band, because earlier on I was mostly still thinking a lot about the orchestral stuff. You know, that's, mm-hmm. what, I, that's what I grew up listening to, all the Beethoven symphonies, uh, you know, and some of the stuff like Bach and Mozart as well. But when I was in grade 10, there was a student conductor who was in from the University of Saskatchewan to intern, essentially, at the school. Mm-hmm. And he decided that he wanted to conduct Horkstall Grange from Lincolnshire Posey. What really fascinated me about this piece was, first of all, how the thing grew from the start to the end, and also the harmonies and how you have different rhythms going on top of each other. This was the stuff that I really wanted to play in band, and then time went on. I found myself playing in the Saskatchewan 
uh, provincial, I guess it's called the Saskatchewan Provincial Honor Band or something, the north version yeah. of it. There's a southern one right. as well. The conductor who came around this time brought along the lost lady found, also from Lincolnshire Posey. Maybe it's because <laughs> I was younger. So that's why this fast-paced music attracted me even more. And I mm-hmm. listened to the entirety of Lincolnshire Posey after I got back. And it was thanks to Granger's music that I realized, you know, I don't necessarily have to write a symphony yeah. for a wind band. I can maybe communicate what I want to in something a little bit shorter, something I wouldn't say less ambitious than a symphony for a wind band, but I can I can do this stuff too in, in yeah. a shorter amount of time in a, in a smaller structure and probably do it just as well as, you know, having a large canvas to work with. And it was from there yeah, really that I continued writing for a wind orchestra. Uh, yeah. And I was learning a lot from looking at the scores of Granger, you know, Lincolnshire Posey, Shepherd's Hay, Molly on the, on the Shore, etc. Uh, yeah. I would go to the band library at my school, open all the drawers and search for the scores that I found interesting. And I'm rather grateful that my band teachers let me do that because yeah. I made a mess, I guess, out of all the scores they had neatly <laughs> organized everywhere. <laughs> and I, I would say that one of the reasons why composers should consider writing for uh, wind ensembles uh, is, you know, especially based on my observations of music by Holst, Granger, uh, Gordon Jacob, you know, the bunch. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a richness to the sound of wind ensemble that's sometimes not achievable by the symphonic orchestra. You know, strings mm-hmm. are, are rather nice. They can do a lot of the stuff that, that wind instruments can't do. But I would say there's a, there's a way where the, in, where the wind instruments will all blend together uh, it's, a, it's a very rich, sort of velvety red kind of color, and that's what draws me, at least, towards writing for uh, wind players and have them all together. Yeah. Well, I think that that's, that's a really great, well, very full answer. Dylan, what are you doing? Well, it's it's just so funny how often I get your piece chasing sunlight stuck in my head. <laughs> well, it's pretty good singing. That makes me so happy. And I'm so thankful that this piece has become a favorite for so many people after winning a very special award from the Canadian Band Association. And now it's time to find the next winning piece. If you're an emerging composer in Canada, you could be the next winner of the Canadian Band Association's Howard Cable Memorial Prize in Composition. The CBA is looking for submissions of original, unpublished works for concert band at or below the grade three level. The composer of the winning work will receive a $1,000 cash prize and join a long list of fantastic past winners, including our very own Kate Nishimura. That's right. And even if you're not a composer, there is still a way to get involved with this awesome project. If you're interested in supporting the creation of new Canadian band pieces, you can join the consortium. Consortium members are the first to receive the score and parts for the winning work. They have access to all the submissions and even have a voice in determining the winning composer. Membership is open to any performing ensemble, even if you're not in Canada, including high schools, universities, community bands, honor bands, and more. To learn more about the Howard Cable Memorial Prize in Composition, visit the Canadian Band Association's website, canadianband.org. That I'm going to try to unpack. 
but certainly it's whenever uh, uh, me being the only one on the call who's not a composer, I, I would just say it's 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 nice to hear uh, your story of how how those your kind of progression of composers and how each influenced you. Because we talk about Granger a lot and, you know, just the way that he uses dissonance, the way that he uses uh, the, his, this is color choices on all those kind of things. The one thing I have to say <laughs> is I don't know about anyone else, but when I was in grade three, I, I don't know what I was doing, but I was not <laughs> thinking about what you were thinking, Jeanne. <laughs> I think I was picking my nose. Uh, I was worried about those kind of things. But it's quite extraordinary to hear about those kind of things. Um, and I want to continue to hear about extraordinary things like your pieces. So we're going to move on um, to asking you about those pieces. Uh, Nick, could you please tell us about your, your CBA uh, piece and what was your inspiration for the piece, the process of writing it, anything else that you would like people to know about? Is it Night Highway? That is correct. Night Highway... Um... It was really inspired by the semi-regular trips I used to make um, in pre-COVID times to Vancouver, mm -hmm. um, either for like composition workshops or for premieres of my choral pieces. Um, so I would always leave Penticton like late in the afternoon. So by the time, you know, I hit the heavy traffic close to Vancouver, it was always completely dark. And for some reason, this always, there was like this strange mix of energy and melancholy that I always got mm -hmm. from driving on that stretch of road. Um, you know, there are all these bright lights and vehicles zooming by, but at the same time, you know, everyone's sort of alone in their own little world. And of course, there's also, since it's Vancouver, there's this vast sort of silent backdrop of mountains mm -hmm. and trees that sort of lend a, I don't know, just a different scale to the whole thing. Um, yeah. So it was a mood, as the kids say. And um, <laughs> I wrote this piece to try to capture that mood as best I know how musically. Um, so that's the inspiration. Would you... I always find composers talking about their process can be the most boring thing in the world to anyone who's not a composer. <laughs> Would you still like me to go into that at all? It's yeah, actually pretty simple. Um, okay. Because I mentioned how um, writing all this choral music sort of led me to this realization that I'm fundamentally a melodic composer. And I used to struggle a lot to write band music because, you know, there are so many instruments. There are so mm. many more harmonic and textural options. But in this mm. one, um, I decided to just write the melody from basically from beginning to end with just, you know, notations of the vague chords that I wanted to be there. And then I found that, um, you know, I knew where obviously the changes in form would be as a result of that melody. So I sort of, you know, let the different textures just kind of fall out of that um, and support the different moods I was trying to convey. That was basically the process for the entire piece, except the intro. And the intro okay. is my least favorite part of the piece. <laughs> um, Honesty is so, good. <laughs> yeah. I, and in an era when, you know, a lot of people's first exposure to new music is like on YouTube or on the publisher's website, it's a terrible thing to have, 
you know, an intro that's weaker than the rest of the piece. Yeah, um, but that. that's sort of, <laughs> I mean, obviously the judges list listens past it. So I'm very thankful <laughs> yeah. for that. Um, and yeah, that was, yeah. that was my process. Just because I, I have recently realized that in my own writing, I tend to do this thing where like, it takes a little bit until you get to the real like bulk of the piece that I feel great about. That is sort of the first theme and the first main like moment where everybody's playing. And I sometimes create these kind of extended introductory sections in order to get there. And I totally understand what you're saying about like, you know, when someone just listens to a sample and it's the first page or the, you know, something like that of the score um, when that may not actually be the best example of, of the work itself and, you know, the part that you feel best about. So that's just, just interesting that you mentioned that. And I have spent some time in BC and I can imagine exactly what you're talking about with how the, the mountains and the trees and everything almost absorb this extra sound that is around. And so I can imagine just being on these highways, um, you know, cars zooming by and then just fading off into the distance. Like once it's gone, it's gone, you know? And I, I think that you were successful in depicting that through your music. So thank you for sharing that story. Well, thank with you. Us. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I love the trombones oh, that yeah. do the like That's... cars <laughs> passing by. <laughs> you can tell I'm a trombonist, right? That's the I know, most literal actually, I got. Mostly it's just, I was going to say, <laughs> I wrote down a uh, trombone in the attic from your, when you were talking earlier, uh, that should be like a piece title trombone in the That's attic. That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Intros are always tough. And I think a lot of it comes back to our classical training, um, mm -hmm. you know, and this feeling that the melody sort of has to develop and emerge from somewhere. But, you know, yeah. if you listen to, if you go far enough back, if you listen to Mozart, you know, he just gives you the main theme. Okay. C major. Yeah. Here we go. And one of my favorite 20th century pieces actually is the violin concerto by Samuel Barber and he just mm -hmm. starts right in you know that's true mezzo forte violin gorgeous violin melody accompanied by orchestra like we know this is what the piece is about and that's actually a great piece for the YouTube era so I mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah for my next piece I'm gonna just try to start right in with the main theme and it's gonna be a challenge yeah anyway cool. <laughs> wonderful um, and could you tell us, uh, Jean Ann, about your piece? Uh, I agree with Nick that composers talking about the process of how they put together a composition can sound boring. Therefore, I'm going to focus more or less on the inspiration of mm -hmm. how I eventually produced my composition. Mm -hmm. uh, some background, I should say, I, I would like to say, is uh, that. I had found out about the comp uh, I I'd found out about the competition a few years back, but I decided not to do anything because a few years ago I still didn't really feel like I had much to offer in terms of something that can be considered good, and thus mm -hmm. I was stalling until around the year 2017 when I found myself in Regina for the Saskatchewan Provincial Honor Band this time, and the conductor at that time was Dr. Jillian McKay who yeah. brought along uh, Chasing Sunlight to open Ooh. the concert. And I saw on top of the page, of course, that this was the 2017 winner. And that brought the, uh, that brought the, com that brought the competition more or less back in the radar for me. <laughs> when April came along, 
by this point, I was back in Saskatoon due to the mm-hmm. hit of COVID-19. I, w- I just really wanted to do nothing after the term ended. I wanted to relax for a few days. And one of the things I began to do was to ride my bicycle out to these parks nearby uh, where I was living in Saskatoon. And in all these parks, I noticed the songs of birds, especially the chickadees. And having composed the soundscape composition where I went around recording sounds, I decided that what I wanted to do was to do some amateur birding slash record the sounds of these lovely feathered creatures who apparently are the nearest relatives of dinosaurs that we have. I think that's a claim made by, I guess, some anthropologists or ophthalmologists, I guess. So Ada went on my bicycle with uh, my little stick recorder. I also brought along a camera. It was on the 24th of May when I found myself by this naturalized area in a park not too far away from uh, my home. I sat down by this pond and began to look at what was going on. Now, around this time in Saskatoon, things were not going too swell for the people within the communities. There had been recently this Chinese boy who was attacked by this guy who said, you know, you're responsible for what's going on right now in the world. Mm -hmm. And for me, Mm -hmm. this felt rather troubling. Mm -hmm. It felt to me as if the world was falling out of order. And here on this pond surface, I was seeing how the ducks were nicely grouped on the surface of the water, whereas the blackbirds were in the reeds. You know, there was a kind of order that was that was here within what I called this pond society that I felt was lacking in the world around me in general. Mm-hmm. I decided that I wanted to recreate this kind of order, maybe in a composition. For me, somehow, in between all the different assignments, you know, where I have to look for the beta value of this or, you know, here we have some money coming in as that debit or credit in between doing all that stuff and also writing counterpoint, which I enjoyed. I finally completed the composition. I took a few days to look over it around the time, I think when a blizzard came into Saskatoon and uh, after a bit of revising a few days before the deadline, I submitted it and said to myself, okay, you know, I I finished it. I sent it in. If it's not going to win, that's all right. I've practiced my scoring. Uh, if it doesn't win, I'll just revise it the next year and submit it again. <laughs> and uh, little did I know Let's that one day in May of this year, I would receive an email from Dr. Kassler saying, you know, congratulations, you know, one of the two winners this year of the Howard Cape Memorial Prize in composition. Yeah, there you go. And I'm in the very, Dr. Kassler's office is just down the hallway from the room I'm in right now, actually. Ah. It all comes around full circle. It all comes around. <laughs> but thank you so much for, for sharing that. Um, I, I mean, I, thoughts of Messiaen came to my head. I know Kate yeah. is an avid birder as well. And, I am. And to think about uh, kind of in both pieces, I think sometimes uh, we think about music in a way that it's just music. But to hear how it's how what is influencing both of your pieces and and how how life comes into it, we were just discussing that in one of my my classes this week actually mm-hmm. about how some of the best artists, some of the best composers bring bring life, bring the messiness of being human or the beauty of being human into their work, and and then we can all experience it as well. Yeah. So thank you for sharing uh, all of that about both of your pieces. Okay, so uh, we'll just have each of you quickly share something about uh, maybe an upcoming project or uh, a goal that you're working towards, maybe something you're working on now. Uh, Gina and I know you're in school and studying two subject areas. Um, So yeah, we're just curious to know kind of what's on the horizon for each of you. Um, We'll start with Nick. 
That was a surprise. Um, <laughs> so, um, for the next concert season, I had like absolutely nothing happen in 2020 to 2021 mm. because of yeah. COVID. It's been um, a bit but, of a strange time. <laughs> yeah, for all of us um, mm -hmm. in different ways, I'm sure. But yeah, um, I have tentatively 10 pieces scheduled to receive their premieres between wow. October and like June, which is cool. That's wonderful. Um, some of them are on backlog from, you know, 2020. Um, yeah, I can relate. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you can. Um, so, and it's frustrating too, because, you know, some, I think these are some of my most interesting choral pieces and I can't share them with anyone yet, even yeah. though some of them yeah. I wrote two years ago because, yeah. you know, nobody has you have to premiered the them. And, and I know, I yeah. understand. <laughs> and in some cases they were- It just means that we were, get a lot of new music from you all at once eventually, which is exciting. Hopefully, as as long as, you know, enough people get vaccinated and all that, but we'll, yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I have, like, three choral pieces that are all paid commissions, which never happens, um, due, <laughs> like, by the end of the year, so that's exciting, and they're all on texts by living poets, which I think is nice. important. Um, yeah. And... A great recent experience that I have to share because I think it's important to this. It's what I'm most excited about, about these mm -hmm. upcoming projects. Um, this one conductor really wanted to commission a new text from a poet in Ontario who I had never heard of. Um, and she just sent us the poem like a few days ago. And it's... It, breathtaking and I just feel so privileged that I got to be like one of the first people to read it and that yeah. um most people's first exposure to it is going to be um through my music and that's mm -hmm. you know a whole other layer that choral music has that mm -hmm. you know we don't have to talk about since it's a band's podcast but I'm <laughs> I just feel really <laughs> yeah I just feel really privileged and excited to be you know working with these poets and these choirs and yeah yeah that's, that's fantastic great. and since we are on a band uh you know podcast here i will say that i i love when composers create uh instrumental versions of choral music because Intent. it provides <laughs> such a great learning opportunity for uh ensembles and their directors to figure out how to represent the words without being able to sing the words, right? Mm -hmm. So you're looking at the text and the audience is not hearing the text. So it's just a really interesting kind of opportunity to represent those ideas, um, you know, only with instruments. So yes, hint, hint, yeah. make more band versions of your choral music. Also, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like your, your former teacher, uh, Stephen Chapman is also has a history of this and another UBC grad, Matthew Emery, Mm -hmm. also has has right. a couple of pieces now that have been transformed for yeah. the better. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> both I, versions I was, uh... stand alone. You know, they're both great. <laughs> if if we're dropping names, I was Matthew Emery's TA when I was doing my Emery. master's and he was doing his bachelor's there. That's uh, I, Wow, what a small world. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you always say you, people always say they learn a lot from their students. And I think that was part of the reason I got into choral music. I was like, okay, this, this kid is just super disciplined <laughs> and he 
you know, puts his stuff out there, which I was still yeah. terrified to do and still am to an extent. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's. That's really cool. It's nice to be, you know, part of that um, community. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. For sure. Uh, great. And Jinan, what are you working on or working towards uh, at this point? I thought while we're in the midst of dropping names, I would say that I believe Dr. McKay agrees with uh, Kate that sometimes arrangements of choral music sound a bit better than the original pieces. (laughs) Uh, In terms of what I'm doing right now uh, as a composer, in, I believe, two days, my first class of Music 270 will start. I say my mm-hmm. first class, I won't be the instructor. I will be instructed by somebody else <laughs> right. on how to compose Yes. because I'm not quite at that level yet. Maybe I could teach mm-hmm. a dog how to compose, and if I do succeed, I will feel rather nice about myself. That'd and this was the program that I really wanted. I should say, sorry, not the program. This was the class that I really wanted to get into, so I'm rather excited to see what okay. will happen. And I'm sure by the end of 2021, I will have something uh, completed for the class. I'm hoping it will be a, a composition that I will be proud of. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of what I'm doing right now in university with music and all the stuff that's irrelevant, such as business law and all of that, which is not exactly relevant, but irrelevant for the purposes of what we're talking about right now, <laughs> I was working on another water-related composition this summer. My father, uh, myself, we went, uh, we rowed a boat across a lake in Saskatchewan. And on the water surface were a lot of lilies, yellow colored Mm -hmm. flowers. And the way that they sort of moved around in the water, as well as how the sun was shining on them, inspired that composition, which I began and have not completed yet due to the fact that now I'm back in Edmonton. And that Mm -hmm. means business, you know. (laughs) Uh, And I also began, I talked about the symphony a little bit earlier about how I was trying how I was thinking about writing a symphony for for wind players with no string players. I've adapted that idea a little bit now, and I'm working on a piano concerto for, well, solo piano and a wind ensemble. The inspiration came from a piece of music Dr. Schroeder chose to program in 2020, which was a Gordon Jacobs Jacobs, uh, concerto for trumpet and clarinet with a small uh, wind ensemble backing the two players. And that was the inspiration behind this composition, which is also incomplete uh, because, as I mentioned, composing for me is a slow process. There's a lot of sketching that has to be done, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And also there's another challenge with this piece, which is the fact that I had to start thinking about classical structure, you know, all the Kaplan stuff behind the antecedent, the the consequent, whatever. Uh, (laughs) And also uh, sketching the movements, trying to figure out how they will work in a roughly cyclical way and maybe not. Uh, but I would, what I would really like to do, though, in the future is to return to writing some orchestral stuff because I think having talked about the string players in a rather bad way earlier, my apologies <laughs> to them, I have a feeling that maybe it would serve me well to learn how to write for string players properly and not just write a series of portamental notes everywhere and have them. Mm-hmm. Tremolo to the point where they need to see a chiropractor the day after uh, first two rehearsals. My career's over. And I'd like to maybe write something for the theater again. I tried my best when I was a little Mm -hmm. bit younger, but I realized I can't write my own libretto, so I'll see if I can get somebody else to do that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, that's great. Cool. So there's a lot on the go for everyone. Um, and it, it's, uh, yeah, no, it's, it, it's really nice to hear about kind of all those things that are coming up and, and especially after, you know, what we've gone through and to hear about even just the possibilities of things being played and things being created again yeah. is such a wonderful reminder. Um, so we are going to come to our, our last question, official question of this episode. But I will remind you, listener, that we are going to go on into bonus episode land with these two fine composers and to talk about who knows what. Well, I do know what, but you need to become a patron <laughs> of the Bandroom Podcast to learn about that. And you can learn more about how you can support the podcast by visiting patreon.com slash bandroompod. That's patreon.com slash bandroompod, where you can hear uh, our conversation that we're going to have, as well as a great growing back catalog of other conversations and hilarious stories that we've had with past guests. Um, and I just want to say uh, how great it's been to have this conversation with you uh, the last question is usually i always like to say it's like uh, if and i like advice that can fit onto a t-shirt so no pressure so although i did say one piece of advice if you feel like you have more that's okay as well so um let's start with guess who nick <laughs> if you could give one piece of advice to composers musicians in general what would it be Okay. Um, I mean, despite my, my venerable age, I feel like I'm still at the stage in my career when I'm better on the receiving ends of advice. Um, <laughs> but if you want to fit stuff onto a t-shirt, I mean, an obvious one is just be nice to people, but that's good, mm. you know, yeah. life advice in general. I would also say, um, and some people might disagree, but you are not your art. Um, mm -hmm. I mean... We have this romantic notion of composers, you know, especially when you look at biographies of Beethoven, that kind of thing that I think is actually kind of toxic that we think of them as like these great humans who, you know, yeah. somehow did somehow were like more human than the rest of us almost. Um, mm. And I mean, creating something is it's it is a really, you know, vulnerable and personal process, but it's still just something we do, not who we are. Um, and I think the main reason I almost quit composing, even after studying it, um, was because I tied my self-worth way too much up with the uh, music I produced. And that created just a lot of pressure that I couldn't get over. So um, I personally am still you know, in the process of learning not to take failure personally, because it's really not. Um, and yeah, not to, uh, not to tie my self-worth to the work that I am doing, remembering there's more to life than being a, being a composer. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really good advice. And I mean, as someone who, um, feels like, you know, my, my work is an extension of my life and, you know, what I do and who I am and, and all of that, it's still so important to have that separation because, you know, when things are going well, that sounds really nice to be like, oh yeah, I am what my art is. But when things are not going well, or when, you know, you're having a hard time with something, um, to remember that, 
you know, not every piece is going to be the perfect representation of who you are and all that you're capable of. And, you know, if someone doesn't like it, that doesn't mean they don't like you and, and all of those kinds exactly. of things. So thank you for that reminder. That's, that's really important. And be nice to people. That's a really big yeah, one. I know it's you said it just because it fits on a shirt, but like for real, that's good advice because those, oh, uh, the people that you're nice to, you know, maybe that's a collaborator. Maybe that's someone who's going to conduct or perform your work. Maybe that's someone who will commission you eventually, right? So just, you know, making good impressions and being nice to people goes such a long way. So it's, it's great that you have reminded us of that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And last but not least, Jean-Anne. What is, what is your mind-blowing, life-changing piece of <laughs> advice for our listeners? Well, it feels rather odd that I'm in this position because I've only <laughs> lived for around 20 years on this planet. Okay. Uh, but there's two quotations that I do uh, very much like, and they've become very important uh, for me over the past few years. And they both are pointing towards the same thing. But, of course, they're a little bit different because they were said by two different people. Uh, the first one, I believe, came comes from Ravel. And he told Gershwin, when Gershwin wanted to study with him, you know, why be a second-rate Ravel when you can be a first-rate Gershwin? Mm -hmm. And this quotation, in my mind, is very similar to part of the lyrics to Buffy uh, St. Marie's song, She Used to Want to Be a Ballerina, uh, that goes, Rock and Roll will never be Tchaikovsky. Tchaikovsky will never be rock and roll. Yeah. What this is indicating to my mind is as a composer, I think it's all right to begin very much perhaps as I had done earlier on when you look at a score by Beethoven or a score by Mozart or something by John Cage and say, I want to do something like that. And to think that when you attain something similar to Symphony Number no. 40 by Mozart, or in the name of the Holocaust by John Cage, that, you know, you're on their level. Mm -hmm. When Nick was talking, he reminded me of a portion from a documentary film in a series made by Valdemar Januszczak for BBC. I'm hoping that I said his name correctly. He was talking about sculpture, and at the end of the episode, he said that, and I guess I'm paraphrasing this point, that the urge to put down, uh, to put up a sculpture is just as great as to take it down which I believe might be a good way to talk about how with composers, we seem to have an idea after, you know, all their music is cataloged, published and distributed widely, that they're somehow on another level from us. And in order to become good at this craft and art, what we must do is follow in their footsteps almost identically in order to attain what they have reached which I don't think is the point with writing music because mm -hmm. Beethoven and Bach's works right now are probably still out there in outer space on that golden record. If that <laughs> is now the case, what is the point of producing something that sounds like Bach or Beethoven? It will always be second rate. And mm -hmm. basically, again, to borrow a term I used earlier, it's going to mean, be nothing more than a derivative. Why will people mm. want it when already there is, there is original Bach and Beethoven, maybe some lost works out there that are still waiting to be discovered. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I would say for anybody who would like to try their hands composing, first of all, nowadays, it's a very easy thing to do because with all these DAWs, uh, you can now really play with sounds any way you mm -hmm. please. Uh, but when you begin, you can 
consider the works of somebody. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be Beethoven. It could be Schoenberg. It could be Bob Dylan. It could even be Steve Jobs, you know. <laughs> you can look at them as maybe a guide, as maybe a line that you will follow for a little while. But it's very important not to follow it exactly, to, you know, walk on it. And by a certain point after doing so, you might want to find a different pathway because, you know, if you follow it for a bit too long, you might end up, you know, in St. Mark's Cemetery along with Beethoven and Mozart and everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and like, thank, thank you for that advice. It's, it's in, in some way, a lot of what I've, I've heard during our conversation today, uh, much like last week's episode, now that I think about it, is just being your authentic self or trying to always remind yourself of that. And also, whenever you do discover who that might be, being okay telling the world, hey, this is it. This is what mm-hmm. I've created. This is what I do. Awesome. So I, I think both both of those uh, advices uh, or advice. There's no advices. It's just advice. Uh, <laughs> or are, are really uh, great reminders. Um, so I, I really want to um, mention something I forgot. We're kind of ahead a little bit in the, in, and by that I mean, I don't even know on the CBA website, Canadian Band Association website. I don't think they even have put the fact that you guys have won that. They have made out. They've made the announcements, of course, on, on social media and all that. But as soon as they do, we will make sure to link everything that we possibly can, so uh, you, the listener, can can hear both of these beautiful pieces uh, and hopefully do them with your ensembles and and learn a little bit more about Nick and, and Jean as well. Um, so thank both of you so much for taking the time to be on the band room uh, or rather in the band room. Uh, And it's just been, it's been great to get to know you and to hear your story. And I thank you so much for your contributions, not only to Canadian band music, but into, you know, just to to offer uh, your pieces to, to the whole world, no pressure, but thank you so much for, for doing this. And uh, I hope we can chat again. Thank you for having me on the program. Thank you, likewise. Thanks so much for spending time with us in the band room. If you want to learn more about anything we discussed in today's episode, check out the links found on our website, bandroompod.com. If you liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe to the Bandroom Podcast, give us a rating and a review, and tell all your friends about how much you enjoyed it. If you really love the show, maybe you should consider becoming part of our Patreon community, where you can support BRP and get some extra incentives in return. Or you can buy some sweet, sweet BRP merch, helping to offset podcast hosting costs and investments into new equipment so that we can continue to bring you great content and great people. Follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube to keep up with what's on the go. If you have any thoughts on today's episode, leave us a comment on our website, bandroompod.com, where your comment might be featured on a future episode of BRP. The Bandroom Podcast is produced by the wonderful Jonathan Wong. And our theme music is Skyline, composed by EKR Hamill and performed by Dr. Gillian McKay and the University of Toronto Wind Ensemble. Stay safe and be well, bandies. Thanks again for stopping by the band room.